Hi everyone, Will Sloan here. I'd like to tell you about a movie from 1957 called The Brain from Planet Eros. The film stars John Agar as an atomic scientist whose body is inhabited by an evil brain from outer space that is bent on world domination. Of course, the brain is also very interested in Agar's love, Sally Fallon, played by Joyce Meadows. Here's a little bit from the trailer. What you have just seen me do to that one small area, I can do to a city, a nation, or a continent. Gentlemen, I'm convinced I saw him wipe out a city of concrete and steel by some power of mind. And my advice to you and to your governments is to take what this this man says as a most serious matter. Any country I have mentioned which does not have a representative here present in this room will find its capital city wiped out. The Brain from Planet Eros cost $58,000 to make and was released by Howco International, which also released such films as Ed Wood's Jailbait and Roger Corman's Carnival Rock. And now, 65 years later, it has just been released on a beautiful new Blu-ray from The Film Detective. For any fan of low-budget 1950s science fiction, it's a no-brainer purchase. The movie is a lot of fun, and the disc includes a commentary track with the film's leading lady, Joyce Meadows. Now 89, Joyce Meadows has been active in the promotion of the Blu-ray, and you can imagine my delight and surprise when the Important Cinema Club podcast was offered a chance to interview Ms. Meadows to discuss the film and her long career. It's not every day you get a chance to talk to the star of a beloved 1950s cult classic, so of course I leapt at the opportunity. The Brain from Planet Eros is just one of many movies and TV shows that Joyce Meadows has appeared in. Everything from Perry Mason to Breakfast at Tiffany's to The Christine Jorgensen Story to films by William Castle and Edward L. Kahn. We spoke over Zoom and talked about her work in a range of films, as well as the craft that she brought to her performances and the reasons she stepped away from Hollywood, which may not surprise you. Thanks again to Miss Meadows for making the time. And now here is the interview. Can I ask first, where am I speaking to you from? From, uh, it's a suburb of uh, Los Angeles. It's called Torrance, California. It's by Redondo Beach. So you moved to Los Angeles in the 50s and kind of never looked back then. Uh, That's true. I never did. You know, it's amazing to be talking to you about a movie from 1957. And I I guess my, my first question is, how vividly do you remember making the movie? Oh, well... When people ask me questions, sometimes the, uh, uh, the answer comes, and then at other times I have to stop and think about it. But I've watched the movie. I haven't got my Blu-ray yet, but I've watched the movie, and um, things come back to me as I watch it, you know. And then I, with, uh, when we did that interview with Tom Weaver, then we talked about the movie and it would come up, you know. How did you come to be in the movie? Okay, uh, Jack Marquette, who was a cameraman, wrote it, uh, was, was part writer, or mostly the writer. And I had done quite a bit of television shows. 
I did a Dr. Christian, he was a cameraman, and, and also Man in the Challenge and a few others. And I got a call from him through my agent to come and talk to him. And when I did, he said, I have a, I've written a sci-fi movie, and there's a great part in it for a gal. And she has to be, you know, good. And I know about your theater background. And uh, he said she's strong in her way and so on and so forth. And he said, would you be interested or do you care about sci-fi? And of course, I've been a sci-fi bug for a long time and loved everything about aliens, outer space and things like that. Ever since I was about six or seven years old. And so long story short, he offered me the role. He just, would you be interested in doing it? And I said, oh, I would, thinking I would have to now audition. And he just gave me the part. And that's how I uh, started to uh, work on Sally Fallon for the movie. I know that you worked with John Agar several times. Uh, Uh I'm a great fan of John Agar. What what memories do you have of him generally? What was he like to work with? So I did a couple other movies with him. That's true. And I, I'm trying to remember some things. So there was one called... Uh, uh, the oh, the Flesh and the a, Spur, I believe, was one of them. Uh, Flesh and the Spur, but there was another one. Uh, uh, no. fr- Frontier no. Gun, I believe it was. Frontier Gun, that's what it was. I played a real spicy character and kind of putting him down all the time in, uh, in that particular Western. And that was kind of a fun role. But then we became romantically, uh, you know, and that was either before or after the brain. But John always played a good guy. And of course, in this, he had to go back and forth and play a good guy and a bad guy. But I'll basically tell you this. John uh, never did theater. Uh, John Wayne helped John be an actor in front of the camera. But John had a lot of natural ability. One beautiful thing is he knew in inherently how to connect and as an actor you connect with him and that's what made our scenes work so well in the brain because we both committed and where he got the ability to do that I don't know I know where mine came from you know and as a person he was extremely uh, a gentle soul he was uh, no ego there whatsoever uh, and a very gentle man he was. And because we did some memorabilia together, and I, I got to know him and knew some things about his past then as we talked. And some of it was you know, good. And early days, it was pretty bad, uh, the idea when he married Shirley Temple. And he was easy to work with. He was so easy to work with. And if you had little things, maybe I, I, sometimes my scenes, if we did another take, would be basically the same, but a little different. And you just go right along with whatever, you know. And um, that made it very connected, especially when we had the opportunity in the brain. So I can't say enough things that are nice about John. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that. I didn't realize I was asking you about an ex. So I'm, I'm glad it was such a nice answer. <laughs> yeah, so but we did. We worked well together. Being in a movie like this, I mean, I have to imagine this would have been a fairly short shooting schedule. Um, yeah. Is a movie like this fun to make? What's the experience of it like? Well, 
I had uh, was completely relaxed as far as the dialogue because I could memorize a lot of pages at one time and because being the camera would move. So I would be in a two shots sometimes and then other times in a close up and the camera did a lot of moves. So I had to know my marks. And I will say that being a young actor, that was probably the hardest thing was for me to understand that I had to know where the marks were without looking at them. And Nathan was so kind. A lot of times he just let me go through it, just, by, you know, just practice reaching my different marks so I wouldn't be trying to find them everywhere on the set. And I had uh, the ability then to grab on to four or five pages at the same time. And I'm, uh, I guess that's because of the strong theater background I had. You know, I had did Shakespeare. In fact, I had just come off of Juliet, Romeo and Juliet. So I was uh, prepared, you know, theatrically to handle dialogue. And um, I just jumped in. And I had time to work on the character, Sally, and I had what I thought she should be. And I just let it unfold as we went along. And like I said, the hardest thing was some of the technical things, Will. But other than that, uh, I was pretty much a pro working in front of it, even my early days. I understand you studied under the great actor, Jeff Corey. What did that training bring you, um, I guess, in all your work, but particularly a movie like The Brain from Planet Eros? Well, he um, he had a particular technique and I got a few pointers. I can't remember all of them. And he was a good teacher. But I had uh, read Stanislavski when I was in the eighth grade and fell in love with him. And I lapped over into Stella Adler pretty quickly. And I will say it was the technique uh, regarding Stella Adler that, that I latched on and used in my, uh, in my work uh, more than anyone else. And, and then I kind of went away from the whatever Jeff, Jeff Corey was teaching. And he was great, though, in making you aware of camera work, technical camera work. He was good in that. Costello was strictly, you know, acting, the art of acting. But Jeff was wonderful in teaching you how to be aware of your camera work and what you should do. I got a lot of that from him and carried it on over but I didn't stay with him uh, as a teacher. So from Stella Adler, I, I assume you would have taken some of those method techniques that are so commonly associated with her? Yeah, mm -hmm. a lot of them. <laughs> a lot of them, you know. And um, there was also, I, I was reading Chekhov, uh, Michael Chekhov, not the playwright, but the acting, great acting coach. He worked with the big, big stars like Ingrid Bergman and so on. They would take scripts to him. And um, Clint Eastwood, he picked up a piece of technique. It was called radiation, which I glummed onto a lot and learned to understand. But he used it to the hilt, uh, that piece of technique. And he became less talk and more of what he did on the screen, you know, and especially in his early days. I, I'm uh, not familiar with the technique, but by radiation, I have to assume you mean like an aura that you project this kind of intensity. Yeah. And of course, with me, my aura that I project was the character, the character, the, the person that I wanted to come alive, you know, and that. And 
Stella Adler worked a lot with uh, different things that the actor's studio worked with, you know, emotional memory and, um, oh, just a whole lot of different things. I don't want to go away into that, you know, waiting for your questions. Rather. But I, I took and I read her books and practiced her techniques of different things. And she used radiation too. She also went into emotional memory and do not play emotion, play the action. And whatever that involved, that was the probably the biggest thing I got from her and really learned and still try to practice that when I do work on stage or whatever is uh, you don't act the emotions, you act the action. And then the emotions come out of that. With, uh, with Sally Fallon, what was your conception of that character? What do you think you brought to it that wasn't on the page? She was in love with Steve and waiting for, will you marry me kind of thing. And as a novice, she supported his work and her brother's work. And she was... I don't know how I got it, but she wasn't a scientist. She just supported and had a lot of common sense in that support of the person she loved and uh, was guiding her life to be married to Steve March and uh, have a family and, you know, all those things that, you know, she wasn't a professional, but the circumstances and this alien drew out of her the, a strength and common sense which she didn't even know she had. It just had to come out of her. You know, that was my action. Uh, what to do, what to do, what to do, you know, and all of that. That's kind of the way I basically approached her, uh, that she was a young woman wanting to marry him and uh, have a life with him. And all these interruptions came. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. and uh, eventually was possessed by gore, you know, and all of that. So I, I was innocent of all of the happenings that happened to him and couldn't figure him out until I found out from the good brain what happened. And then I had to pretend to be uh, just normal around Steve when he was being possessed. But I knew that he was possessed. So there was that thing going on, you know. Where I was frightened, but yet didn't I couldn't show it, you know, and so on. So things uh, evolved, you know, in that way, working with the alien, being frightened of it, and so on. You obviously put a lot of work into thinking about who the character was. I'm sure that was the same on all of these low-budget films. Because they're low-budget films, because it's a short shooting schedule, um, did you have to develop techniques to just survive the actual physical process of doing all of this work in such a short and intense amount of time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Well, I, the way I'm thinking about it right now is the fact that I was happy to have it, to have had the work and however the work came to me, I uh, developed characters. Uh, sometimes I had help with a drama teacher uh, that I went to off and on. But I always committed myself to the work that was presented to me and looked at it from uh, an artist's creative uh, point. I didn't, 
it wasn't a, just a job. I, I love the art of acting and I always work to put that into my work and uh, where, wherever it came and whatever it was. And uh, I think that, uh, well, I just, you know, I'm a performer. I think I just love to perform and nothing was a, a big chore to me mm-hmm. about that, really. You know, so there were a lot of challenges sometimes, you know, in the films, but never any, um, I didn't develop any tricks of the trade because I got bored with it or anything like that. You know, I, I, I was never a regular in a series and that would have been a whole different experience. But I took on whatever came, you know, and I was always doing theater in between the uh, television so I kept that sharp and, you know, up to date. Uh, I was never bored. <laughs> Since I have you here, I, I need to ask about just a couple of other movies that you were in. Uh, Flesh and the Spur was directed by Edward L. Kahn, who just made so many movies like that. I'm a fan of Edward L. Kahn. What do you remember about him? He was a fast worker. When you went on the set, you better know what you're going to do. And then he'd let you do it and give you a few comments about it. But he was very direct in what he wanted. And um, Flesh and the Spur, I didn't have uh, you know an awful lot to do. I think that was the movie I got killed pretty early. The biggest, <laughs> the biggest challenge it gave me is I had to come into the set with uh, and into the scene with I think four horses or team of horses that were four. Four in front and two in back. And he said, I don't, I, I know you don't know how to do it, but really we're going to pick you up as you're coming right into the camera. And all you have to do is uh, learn just how to handle them, just enough to get close to the camera. And uh, so he gave me little action things that I had to do. And I came from a farm, so I wasn't at all afraid of animals, you know, so... Uh, I did that, but he worked very, I remember him working very fast, and, but being a good director and very direct, and you could understand what he had, what he wanted, and you just had to get in there and do it, and then he'd give a big smile and say, cut, <laughs> I remember that, but I got killed pretty fast, so I didn't have uh, many days working with him, you know, uh, I liked him a lot. Another one that you had a smaller role in is I Saw What You Did by William Castle. I mean, he's still quite a popular cult director. What do you remember of William Castle? Yes. Uh, Well, I played, uh, you know, I enjoyed playing a heavy, which I did, you know. And then he was very specific on how he directed the bathroom scene when I was getting murdered, you Mm -hmm. know. And he did a lot of the uh, emotional reacting, like the horror and the screaming and being in close-up, because whatever he did was very technical and whatever he told people to do. I don't really remember too much about the actual, uh, I wasn't actually stabbed and I don't remember any knives coming toward me or anything. He took me in close-ups and I... And then talk to me about being horrified and and shocked and different things. You know, he'd bring up ideas and I'd go with it. But it was very technical. I'm sure like um, Hitchcock's 
they do it very technically. And I was more involved in, in, in the emotional reacting that the director wanted. And I don't know what they did technically, but it wasn't until after I got out of the tub that they did something and then they were using knives and stabbing this thing, whatever was in there. But of course, when it came on the screen, it looked like he was killing me, you know. It was totally different when you saw it in the movie. But some of those things can be so technical. And in this particular one, I had to use my imagination and the direction he gave me in close-ups about being agonizingly stabbed to death. <laughs> yes. Exciting <laughs> director. I can imagine why he became so popular. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he was quite exciting as a person and as a director. Very yeah. exciting. And he re- and really turned himself into a personality, much like Hitchcock yes. did. Yeah. I won't spend too much time on all these movies, but the one other one I want to ask about is The Girl in Lover's Lane. That's another movie that I think is still remembered and shown quite a bit. What's your overall impression of that film? Well, I, I, I had a very good director and I met Brett Halsey for the first time and I got kind of a crush on him. So it made being in love with him very easy on the screen. <laughs> and the director came up and told me, uh, or observed, he says, I think you two have a crush on each other. So what I want you to do in real life is ignore it, because then let it happen on the screen. So um, we were told, don't date, don't see each other, don't do don't don't go out to dinner together. Don't do anything. Just just leave it all for the parts. <laughs> and so I was just a you know a young small town girl who fell in love with a young man who came to town and got murdered by the sweetest man that you'd ever want to meet, Jack Elam, who was so scary on the screen, you know with one eye going in one direction and the other eye going straight up, you know, he had the strangest, uh, you know, face. That's why he was so good playing the heavies in all the Westerns that he did. I enjoyed doing the movie and meeting the other people. And it was one of the things that we had to, uh, it was an independent film and there was no wasting time, you know, as you know. Yeah. And uh, you had to know your lines each and every day you came in, which we all did. And um, I think a pretty nice little movie came out of it. A movie like that. I mean, you did so much television, including some, you know, very popular television shows. Was was shooting an episode of like, I don't know, Perry Mason or Alfred Hitchcock Presents or something like that. Was that a more luxurious experience than making a movie like The Brain from Planet Eros or The Girl in Lover's Lane? Well, they were different, uh, and those they were different modes of acting. You know, a lot of the television would be uh, more than even in the movies. They would shoot out of sequence. Uh, they'd say, "We're going to go. Uh, we're out on location today." And uh, so we're shooting and they would tell you the last scenes of the television show. And that's what you'd shoot first because they were out on location or something and out at uh, Chatsworth, you know, or, you know, out shooting outside at a location spot. And then you'd go on stage and shoot the inside things and they jump around to different areas. 
And the challenge there for any actor was you had to remember what you did in the last scenes if now you're doing something in the first part of the script or the middle part first, and then you, and then you went to the first part. You had to be sure you connected and you had to make sure that you, you there was no, um, it's hard to explain, but you had to keep it together. You had to know where you left off. Uh, very had, hard to create a coherent performance, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, a continual performance like it came in sequence, you know, like everything was unfolding sequently. Uh, in, it was in, sequ- in sequence, even though it was scattered all over the place. And we had excellent TV directors, and some of them were younger, some of them were older. People had come from the movies. And you, but television moved much faster, much, much faster. And in those days, they only had two, three, three people at the most in a uh, television series, not the 10 or 12 that they have today. So in order to do a story, there were actors they brought in to play lead roles. And that's what I was always auditioning for, was the lead role of the particular, you know, like Hitchcock. You know, there were no regulars in Hitchcock, but in the Westerns, like Wells Fargo, there were only two guys. So in order to have a story, you had to audition other actors to bring in. Like I played a young tomboy who knew how to draw a gun really fast. And, uh, you know, because there were the two leads and uh, that was it. But today they have so many people in one series that you don't really get to play leads because you got to use all those 12 people at some point. And so most of the uh, working actors go in and do just one scene or five lines or something like that. You really don't get a big part, you know, because they got to use that, those 10 actors that they have under contract, <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's different today than it was before. A lot better because you really got some nice roles, you know, to audition. Between 1970 and the late 80s, apparently you did all sorts of things that weren't acting. You know, you did a USO show, you did social social service work, um, and then you came back to acting, did a, a whole number of TV appearances in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, I'm curious to know, what was behind that career trajectory? Why was I gone? Why, why were you gone and why did you come back? Well, I... Uh... I left and went on the road. I I just walked away from uh, uh, the Hollywood thing altogether. And I was with a group and we did floor shows. And in between that, I I did theater, somewhere theater on the in the round. And I was cast, you know, off the road in maybe in Texas. I was cast for two plays. The Rainmaker, and I did a lot of theater on the road, and I was part of a group that did floor shows. I, um, I, I kind of regret it. I should have stayed and fought my way, but uh, I, I, there was a part of Hollywood that was hard for me to take. I could handle the rejection, but if I can be honest with you, Will, uh, I had a hard time taking the political thing that involved uh, sex and I see, uh, I see, yes. you know, all of that jazz. And instead of 
having the courage to work around it, I ran away from it. And I'm not proud of that. I wish I'd have stayed and found my way. I think I would have, but I could sing and I could, and I had the theater and I ran to those areas rather than sticking it out for the next level, so to speak, you know, in Hollywood. And, uh, and my problem with it, I have no one to blame but myself, really. You know, I, if I had regrets at all, I wish I had stayed and found my way around all of that, really. I could today, by darn. <laughs> well, I think anybody listening, especially after what we've all heard in the media over the last five or six years, understands how difficult that was and how all pervasive it was. So yeah. I think anybody could understand the decision you made and, and respect that decision. Yeah. Um, I mean, see, seeing like what's happened with the Me Too movement and everything, what has that been like for you to observe, given, given what you just said? Uh, you mean in, in modern day times for new young actors? Yeah, but also, I mean, sometimes you hear you hear stories have come out about older actors too. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I just saw a big article about Jerry Lewis, for instance, and all the things that he would do to his leading ladies. I mean, <laughs> there's been there's been so much discussion and more historical work on that kind of thing. Yeah. What, and then some people, uh, you know, actresses have written books and, and one, Francine York, just blew wide open what went on at Warner Brothers in, uh, you know, in, in The Man Who Ran Television and put it in her book, you know, and so on. I don't know if it's ever come out or not, but... And there's other actresses that just, you know, talk about that. And, uh, and people ask me and I say, well... <laughs> You know, so many actors uh, have talked about the political problems that I said, why? I said, if I, if I, if I wrote my autobiography, uh, I don't think I'd get into that all the time. And a lot of times in memorabilia, people would hear things, you know, like uh, somebody wrote a book about Grace Kelly and I understand thus and such, a, you know. And I, and I would say, well, you know what? I wasn't under the bed, so I really don't know what Grace Kelly did or didn't do about mm -hmm. sex. Because <laughs> yeah. I, to be honest with you, I never was in the room or under the bed. You know, I would do silly responses like that because it cha it's all changed a lot uh, for, uh, because there's so much independent things going on now, you know. And let me tell you, if you did a Meryl Streep, like uh, came from a family who, who could send you to Yale and Harvard and you did 40 plays in one year and you came to Hollywood with a PhD and in, in theater and so on, people were impressed with that in the Hollywood scene. Uh, and they treated you with a lot of respect and you didn't have to go through a lot of stuff. There was a director that was accused of so much and all the stars came out. Well, they asked Meryl Streep and she says, oh, I worked for this director. I had no problem whatsoever. Well, I imagine he watched his P's and Q's working with her, you know, uh, yeah, because she had some clout and a lot of it, you know, in her background. Whereas if you were Miss Nobody, 
coming to Hollywood because you want to learn about acting and then do some acting in films and things like that. You know, you had no, you had very little clout and that worked against you a lot. So to be honest, uh, you know, uh, you know. One last question. I think you mentioned earlier, did you say that you still do theater work? Now, I am with a singing group and we do uh, Christmas shows and patriotic shows, but we also do musicals. Right now we've been doing uh, Guys and Dolls and, and Carousel. And I have plenty of time to work with senior citizens that perform for senior citizens. So that's where I'm at right now. And I have plenty of time to work on the music and the dialogue, but to pick up a script and play a lead in a play, I would need many, many weeks to get that dialogue memorized. It, yeah, that's, the sad <laughs> that's the sad part of an actor is to be able, at, at, you know, at a point in your life where you cannot retain the dialogue, the words like you'd like to. It takes a lot of work. And that and television is very fast. So that's what made me retire from television. But I kept doing theater. And now the theater to play a big lead would be very difficult for me at this point. It, it must be fun, though, to still be able to do the singing group, though, and, and be able to perform for those audiences. Yeah, yeah, I have that left. <laughs> and I still can sing after all this time. I give myself singing lessons. Uh, almost every day to keep the mezzo-soprano going. But if I ever sounded like a frog croaking, <laughs> I would stop singing too. <laughs> but so far, so good. I can still uh, sound good when I'm singing. And so. and here we are in 2022 talking about the brain from Planet Eros, which yes. is a, a, an amazing wonderful? thing. Yeah. Fantastic. I love that. I mean, I really did enjoy doing the little feature, being in front of the camera again, and and uh, and, and and helping to promote the Blu-ray the best way I know, you know, that they asked me to, and meeting the uh, film detectives at the TCM Film Festival mm -hmm. in April. So a lot of wonderful things have happened in the last few weeks and months with that. So it's uh, deja vu. And I've been enjoying it. So that's wonderful. Well, you've been very generous with your time, Ms. Meadows. So thanks. I'm thanks. sorry for the bad Zoom. That's uh, that's quite okay. I mean, uh, te technology is hard. Yeah. Um, thanks again for being so generous with your time. It's it's okay. been a real pleasure. Well, at tomorrow there will be a new world. <laughs> you people have small minds. You are unable to grasp the importance of today's events. <laughs>